Recent years have been very tough for organized labor, but now with the passing of AFL-CIO head Richard Trumpka, maybe there's a new energy that's coming forward. I'm Bert Cohen, and with your help, we are keeping democracy alive. If one were to ask the random person on the street where the political and economic power resides in the United States today, my guess would be nearly everyone would say, without hesitation, oh, it's at the top, Wall Street. People with wealth are calling the shots. The system is rigged against working people. Part of the reason why Donald Trump won was, at its bottom, anger and resentment from working people against the elites who don't seem to care about them. Both the old big business-oriented Republican Party and the Democratic Party of the 1990s seemed to ignore the voices of the non-elite They saw the Clinton-era Democrats as taking working people for granted. And the 2016 election showed they were right. It wasn't always this way. There was a strong and huge middle class of widespread growth and prosperity following the Second World War, and unions were strong. They were a big part of it. Since its apex in the 1950s and 60s, union membership has steadily dropped. But thanks to Richard Trumpka, new life has been breathed into a nearly lifeless political body. In the fire hose of news blasting out at us 24-7, you may not have heard that he died unexpectedly on August 5th at age just 72. Who was Richard Trumpka? Though many people today could not identify who he was, his place in 21st century American history, I believe, will be big. And today we'll talk about why and his legacy beginning now, from this point going forward. Our guest today knew Rich Trumpka and has written an essay on the untimely death of labor's best friend. Michael Winship was senior writer at Bill Moyers Journal and Moyers and Company, served as president of the Writers Guild of America East, part of the AFL-CIO, from 2007 to 17, and is former senior writing fellow at the United States think tank, Demos. Uh, Michael Winship, so good to have you back with us on Keeping Democracy Alive. Thank you. Oh, it's a, it's a pleasure, Bert. Always, always great talking with you. I should let you know that <laughs> for my sins, I'm about to become president of the Writers Guild again. All right. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's, in, a, that's a good bunch late, of people. It is. In late September, oh, uh, at, I'll be president again of the Writers Guild East. And, and you know, uh as you have noticed and mentioned in your intro and everything, labor has, has had its share of troubles the last years and membership has declined and so forth. But uh, we've, we've uh, been very hardy, which is great. Well, indeed. Yeah. The, uh, the writer's guild, it's, it's uh, terrific. And, you know, after hitting a peak some 60 years ago, union membership as a percentage of the workforce is, is low these days. As I look through the history of American labor leaders, there's a great variation from real lefties like, Eugene Debs, to Lane Kirkland and George Meany, who moved the union away from traditional left labor coalitions. You served as president of a Writers Guild, and will do so again. Tell us, please, about your impressions of Rich Trumpka. What made him uniquely impressive? Well, you know, when I started becoming active in union politics, um, Lane Kirkland was the president of the AFL-CIO, and then... And then- John Sweeney for for a number many many years. Uh, I first met Rich when he was Secretary Treasurer of the AFL-CIO, 
and uh, the executive director of my union and I had gone down to Washington to to uh, have a mediation with another union. I can't go into the details, but we were having a, a problem with another another union, not not writer related so much. But anyway, we had to go down to D.C. So this is the first time I met him was when he was secretary treasurer and he arranged for this mediation that was very successful. And I was just impressed with the guy. I mean, he was he was physically he was a, a burly guy, mm-hmm. uh, you know, physically physically imposing, big mustache. He, some somebody said he looked a little bit like Lech Valenza, which is yeah. which is true. <laughs> and he was just you know he he came from the working class. He was a third generation coal miner. His his father and his grandfather uh, were both worked in the mines in Pennsylvania, where he was from, and. Um, you know, Rich, in fact, sort of uh, worked his way through school by working in the mines and um, eventually at the age of 33 became president of the United Mine Workers. And, uh, you know, that's that's another union with a fairly tumultuous history uh, mm. of violence and murder and everything else. Oh, if you, yeah. remember, you remember the murder of Dick uh, Yablonski and his wife and daughter, oh, which they uh, they eventually convicted uh, Tony Boyle. Who was the president of the mine workers at that time? He was convict. He was convicted, and um, you know, uh, a, a great reform movement swept through the miners' union as a result of all that tumult. And uh, ultimately, uh, Rich became its president. He was a very erudite guy, but as I say, he was very working class uh, lawyer, and um, just an impressive guy to be around. Um, well, he. At- he was just 72 when he died. That's right, yeah. What, what, yeah. what caused his death, do we know? Well, they say it was a heart attack. Mm. Um, he was off in the, He was out with his family camping. I'm not exactly sure where they were, but he, he loved to camp. And uh, they were on a camping trip, and, um, and wherever they were, he just suddenly uh, dropped dead. And he was 72. Um, wow. it, it was a real shock to everybody because he's been such a, a strong leader for labor. Yeah, he is a force of nature. He was. Yeah. Throughout the 20th century and into the 21st, the pattern has been ownership and management on one side, labor unions on the other. The image of labor leaders is generally of tough guys. Trumpka is described as a truculent fighter. Tell us more about his his persona. You've gotten into it a little bit. Yeah, I... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I included that quote in, in the article. It was, a, it was an article by Steve Greenhouse. Uh, Steve is probably, I, I would say, the best labor reporter in the United States. But he's essentially, he was at the Times for years and years. And now he's pretty much freelance. He writes for the Times. He writes for the Guardian, a bunch of different places. And, and the more I think about it, I'm not quite sure truculent is the right word because truculent sort of implies... Uh, a belligerence for no reason whatsoever, <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> and and Rich could be extremely belligerent, but uh, but always for a good cause, you know, uh-huh. and you know I was lucky to spend time with him uh, on various occasions, and uh, uh, as I mentioned in the article, one of the last times I saw him was was at Occupy Wall Street. Uh-huh. Um, he wanted to come. He wanted to come visit Occupy Wall Street and contacted us and. Um, our head of organizing, uh, Justin Melito, and I uh, went uh, went down there with him and got there, you know, right at the crack of dawn as everybody was waking up. And we walked through the uh, the whole uh, Occupy site there in Zuccotti Park, and and uh, a lot of the younger people there didn't realize who he was, sure. but they 
but they certainly recognized his concern and his compassion and and uh he talked with everybody he uh he was just very much a presence there and very very supportive of occupy wall street and at the end of our visit some guys had uh, some uh uh, steel workers had come over from New Jersey from a construction site, hard hard hats and all, uh-huh. and uh, and uh, Rich talked with them and sat and sat and talked with them, and he just he just had an uh, incredible ability to relate to everybody, and uh, the loss is is huge, and um, yeah, that, you know, that is a, an important thing to be able to talk to everybody, and I have a little bit of uh, historical uh, knowledge. And, uh, you know, I, I remember there's been the split between long hairs and union. You know, it, it goes way back in the, in the 60s during the war in Vietnam. Right. Hard hat construction workers taunted and even beat up long haired hippies. Yeah. Real split between, you know, the uh, yeah. the left and the, the the sort of new left and right. and and the uh, the labor people. So sure. what was Rich Trumka's approach? Well, I mean, he was very much all inclusive. He he was very much somebody who campaigned not only on behalf of of the member unions of the AFL CIO, but but in in support of any group that was working for workers' rights. He was big on the fifteen dollar minimum wage. Um, uh. He was very much, you know, that that hard hat thing that you were talking about, that riot down on Wall Street in 1970, which was a, a reaction to the uh, to sort of counter demonstrating all all of us who uh, were involved with the national student strike after the deaths at, at Kent State and, and uh, Jackson State, Mississippi. And uh, it was brutal. Uh, but you know, he was able to talk to everybody, as I said before, and that ability allowed the labor movement to become much more open armed and welcoming to all kinds of workers. And, uh, I were a good example of it. Uh, we, we joined the writers guild East joined the AFL CIO, uh, back in the eighties. Uh, and, uh, we were part of what they called the department of professional employees at AFL CIO, which is all the sort of white collar unions you know sure. and um and rich was as i had said uh, incredibly supportive and there are many more young people now uh, involved in labor for for many reasons but rich certainly encouraged that you know there's always been a criticism of the afl uh and and its ruling board that it was pale male and stale yeah <laughs> uh you know that uh <laughs> That, it was, that the median age was quite high and that they weren't uh, tuned in to, to what was happening in the country. But I think Rich um, affected an enormous amount of change with regard to that. And uh, there are just some terrific people there now. And, and, and the loss is, is as, as I say, is massive. But, uh, but there are a lot of able-bodied people. Um, Liz Schuler, who is the current secretary-treasurer, um, became automatically on Rich's death. She became the acting president uh, and will be until I think at least uh, next spring when there's a new AFL-CIO convention and the uh, new head will be chosen at that point. Uh, It might be Liz. It might be someone else. Um, There's a lot of talk about Sarah Nelson. I don't know if you've ever had a chance. Oh, yes. She's terrific. She's she's great. Uh, You know, I'm I'm torn because Liz is a very good friend of mine and uh, and I think think, uh, Sarah is pretty wonderful too so it's going to be interesting to see what happens yeah she's with uh, the uh, flight attendants union I that's believe. right very yeah. very well spoken and uh, Indeed. You know, 
I, I wonder, you know, there's been, there's that old expression, in unity there is strength. And there's been divisions, let's face it, you know, in oh, yeah. in, in the left between, you know, there was the, the anti-war movement and the unions on the other side. And I don't, you know, I, I wonder if it's how Trumpka was able to, to pull that together, you know, and pulling people together. Well, he really, I mean, he had this unique combination in that he was a working class guy yes he had been down in the mines he he knew what it was like to get your entire body dirty down and down in the mines and to risk death every day he had that quality and then he also was you know he was a lawyer you know he'd gone to law school he had his his law degree and his bar uh, bar affiliations and so forth and so he was able to talk to just about anybody and uh, that was what was so impressive with him. I mean, one of the most impressive things he did and brave things he did was in 2008 when, when Obama was going to be the Democratic candidate. And uh, Rich wanted to run around uh, different cities and conventions all over the country to sort of basically persuade white blue co- class, blue collar rather, workers who uh, were reluctant to vote for a, a black man. He convinced them that, that that was the wrong move and the wrong position to take, that Barack Obama was the most pro-labor candidate and that he would you know, help labor as, as much as he could. Um, unfortunately, uh, when we were all at the Democratic Convention in Denver in 2008, and there was a meeting of, of union presidents, and basically the Obama campaign said to us, well, we're going to be able to get you EFCA which was the Employee Free Choice Act. Mm-hmm. That's about all we're going to be able to do, at least in the first term. Um, and unfortunately, EFCA didn't go anywhere either. Um, and so that was that was unfortunate. But uh, we worked well with Obama, and I think it's fair to say that that um, Rich was even closer to uh, Joe Biden. Yeah, uh, I, I can imagine. I mean, Joe Biden comes from. You know, uh, uh, he knows working class stuff. Yeah, and he's he's mm-hmm. a he's a real mensch. What my people would say. <laughs> yeah, no, totally, and, and a total mensch, as as uh, friends of mine say. Uh, well, the, I, uh, I do want to ask, just back up a little bit about uh, the the story. You tell the story of of the woman in a, in a small town in Pennsylvania who told Trump right. uh, she couldn't vote yeah. for Obama because it was black. What did he tell her? That's an interesting he, story. He, he went through he went through the litany of of why. Obama was the, the the better choice and the right choice uh, in terms of, of, of helping workers and, and towns like his his hometown in Pennsylvania where he ran into this woman where you know the, the coal mining is down and other industries are down and, and towns are on the verge of just completely disappearing. Mm. He went through all that he went through all of that and then ended by saying, "Lady, are you out of your ever loving mind?" Uh, he. Uh, you know, as I say, he traveled around the country basically campaigning for Obama and uh, against racism. And then it's interesting, in, in 2016, uh, he tried to do the same thing uh, in terms of a woman president. Uh, you know, he went on, on the road on behalf of Hillary Clinton when she had won the nomination and tried to convince a lot of these blue collar guys that, that, that it was OK to vote for a woman, you know, and uh, unfortunately, it didn't work. But uh, but it was heartfelt on his part, and I think uh, everyone was uh, 
totally respectful to his positions. He was he was forthright. Well, I, I can't help but think that uh, there was the projection of elitism and entitlement uh, mm-hmm. from the Democratic Leadership Council-oriented yes. Democratic Party, and they kind of, I think, they took labor and working people for granted as they went for uh, the big money of the Wall Street and the big corporations. Yep, yep. And I, I, I'm not sure that just because Hillary was a woman was the reason that uh, she lost. I, I, I do, you know, the party had gone off in a direction that, that wasn't particularly friendly uh, yeah, to, to, yeah. to labor unions. Uh, for those who may have just tuned in, Bert Cohen here, the show is Keeping Democracy Alive. We're talking about the untimely death of labor's best friend, Rich Trumka. Our guest today is Michael Winship, and we're talking about uh, labor and where we go from here in these currently United States. What did Obama have to say about, I mean, I don't know what kind of relationship he uh, Trumka had with Obama, yeah. but what, what did Obama have to say about Trumka's passing? Because he is still with us, Trumka's not. Oh, he, he was very effusive. Um, you know, he, he tweeted almost immediately. Uh, he tweeted from the coal mines of Pennsylvania to the halls of Congress. Rich Trumka was a fierce advocate for working Americans. He loved this country, and he never missed an opportunity to remind us what we can be. Mm. Thinking family, friends, and federation on this difficult day. I, w- I was with Rich at the White House uh, during the Obama years. There was a, a meeting of, of labor leaders, and... Um, he, he Obama was very, you know, as he always is, he was incredibly uh, informed and aware of the issues and so forth. I mean, he, at that point, Congress had turned over in the midterms in, in 20, 2010. Uh, but, you know, he was incredibly supportive. Unfortunately, not a lot got done. Uh, Biden has been even more effusive in his support of labor. Uh, and I think that helped him in the election. And he... Uh, uh, Many, many times, if you if you watch his his speeches and his, his public remarks, he is extremely pro labor, and as you say, part of that comes from his his own background. And um, you know, he and Rich were good friends, and uh, in fact, Rich's son, Rich Junior, uh, if it is Junior, there's so many generations of Trumpkins. I'm not sure uh, he might be the second or the third or the fourth for all I know, but but he is. Uh, has been a, a guy who worked on the Hill for a number of years and, and was just appointed to the uh, Consumer uh, Commission. Oh, so, good. So yeah. the, the influence continues. And, uh, you know, one as, hopes. As, as the old saying, uh, the, the king is dead, long live the king. We have to yeah. keep going. We have to keep going. And we absolutely do. And, and uh, there's no question, this is not the 50s and 60s. Labor is much. There, there's a much smaller portion of, of working America that yeah, is, is... it's is, down to like 12%, I think. And what was it at its peak? Do you know? I, I think it was like, it was a lot higher, like 35%. Oh, or something. yeah, no, absolutely. It was very, very high. And, and, uh, and you know, go ahead. I, I know people today may find it hard to believe that when labor was strong, there was a wide and strong middle class in America. Mm-hmm. Middle class? What's that? They ain't no middle class anymore. Yeah. We're, we're in a second, and I would say, even more extreme Gilded Age since the last official Gilded yes. Age. What, what, yeah. did, what did Trumpkin know about the reasons for the decline of union membership? And more important, how did he think unions could become stronger and reap more rewards for working people as it had yeah. in the past? Right, right. A lot of points well, there. Well, 
<laughs> well, I, I think that um, he saw, as as we all have observed, the uh, loss of jobs overseas. You know, so many industries like the steel industry uh, have been uh, were badly hurt by and, and massive losses of jobs that were that were uh, taken out of the country. And I think he he realized that. Um you know, one of the thing, one of the things that's interesting with with Rich is that he, when Trump first became president, he was he was gonna, he tried very hard to 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 be cooperative with Trump and to help Trump in the, in the sense that he worked on the trade agreements uh, and he made the trade agreements more uh, union friendly than they than they were. So he was successful in that. But ultimately, he just gave up on Trump because because he just, you know, didn't have a clue about organized labor and certainly has a long history of, of mistreating yep. uh, workers on his hotels and resorts and so forth. And, um, you know, so Rich finally just threw up his hands and, and uh, just talked about what what a menace Trump was and unfortunately remains to this day. But um, that's one of the. Uh, that's one of the things that's that's terrible about the laws of Rich is that you know he was one of these guys who was absolutely prepared to go up against Trump to his face, mm. you know, uh, which which of course Trump hates. He remained a, a forthright uh, leader. He did he would not adjust his tailoring for whomever you know was the president. He was consistent. You have a little story about uh, where Trump, uh, Trumpka's office was looking out at oh, the yeah. White House. Do that, That's kind of a fun little story. Well, it's just great. I mean, it's, it's um, the first time I met Rich was when he was still Secretary of Treasury. And as I, I, as I said earlier, he, he helped facilitate a mediation for us with another union, uh, which was very successful. And I, I had heard that his office had a really amazing view of, of the White House. And this was a day, I guess it was a January day. Um, and it was still, sun was still out and everything. And we walked into his office and the, his curtains were tightly closed. And I, and, and I said, Rich, I, I heard you had a great view of the White House there. And, and uh, I, I don't understand why you've got the curtains closed. And he said, they stay closed until that SOB Bush is out of office. <laughs> Well, it worked. Clearly, it worked. It and, worked, and, and 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 one just funny thing on, on the day sure. that uh, Obama was inaugurated, I was in D.C. for the inauguration, and um, the crowds were so massive. I I had a ticket, and the uh, crowds were so massive, and the security was moving so slowly that eventually I uh, well I, I ran into a friend of mine who was the president of the musicians union and he and his daughter and I wound up walking over to the Teamsters uh, headquarters which were nearby and up to their roof where we where we watched all the events and uh, the funny thing is we as I say we were all up on the roof and when Bush's uh, helicopter took off to to uh, take him away from Washington for the for the last time as president uh, everybody up on the roof, all these labor leaders up on the roof, took off their a shoe. <laughs> <laughs> if you remember the the uh, Iraqi reporter who had uh, thrown a shoe, two shoes, at Bush yes. during a, a press briefing, and uh, 
doing that with your shoe is, a, is like a supreme insult in the, in the Arab world. Yes, it is. And uh, so all of us had our shoe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. That, that's brilliant. I love that. I hope, God, I hope to God he saw it. I'm not sure. But it, but it certainly energized all of us that day. <laughs> well, being energized, I mean, you know, that that's what has to happen now. And I, I do wonder, you know, just thinking back to the, the Democratic Leadership Council and the Democratic National Committee's turn away from labor and just taking working people for granted. Do you think Trump, uh, I'm sorry about that, Trumpka. <laughs> well, easy mistake. <laughs> oh, my goodness, yes. Do you think Trumpka helped the DNC leadership recognize that they made a mistake in taking working people for granted? Where is the DNC now? I mean, I think that was a huge mistake on their part. I think, I, I think that, um, you know, among Rich's abilities or about his, his blue collar background, but, you know, he knew he, he, he was at the AFL-CIO for such a long time as secretary, treasurer, and then president, that he was one of these guys who understands uh, how Washington works and uh, how the wheeling dealing works. And, um, you know, uh, he was able to, 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 Handle uh, lobbyists and members of Congress, and uh, he he was just tremendously gifted at that. And as I say, I mean, he was physically kind of an imposing guy. He wasn't tall, right? But but he was stocky, you know. And uh, I I think uh, I think that got everybody's attention when they met met with Rich, um, and so he was able to to play that game, that inside the Beltway game, very uh, deftly. While so can well, we expect the DNC to 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 shift and and say, "Oops, I, well, go ahead." Yeah, no, I think so. Uh, simply because because Biden is so strongly pro labor, mm -hmm. um, and the big thing, I mean, you know, uh, you mentioned it to me earlier. I mean, we have the Pro Act, which is in Congress right now, which um, uh, has a lot of the the, the ideas that had. Uh, had motivated the Employee Free Choice Act uh, back during the Obama years. And, um, you know, Rich was, was pushing for that very, very, very strongly. It's an important bill. It's one of those social agenda bills that's sitting there at the moment and doesn't look like it can get through mm -hmm. unless we get filibuster, you know. Yeah. Um, only if we get rid of the filibuster uh, will we be able to pass legislation like that because, you know, that the uh, Republicans certainly don't want it. Uh, and there's still some holdout, you know, Democrats who are tied in with, with the campaign money they get and, and uh, tend to, to lean against this sort of thing. But it's a truly important bill. And as I said in the piece, if you really wanted to honor Rich's legacy, we could, we could get that bill through. Um, it really, you know, the NLRB, uh, representative of the NLRB just, uh, recommended the uh overturn of the amazon election ah uh, the unionization election down in in uh, bessemer alabama yes and uh they just they just suggested that it be uh, that the atlanta nrb director who's the regional director down there that he call for a new election uh waiting to hear where that goes uh but you know they they the anti-union forces won fairly decisively in that yes, election. They did, but but what the NLRB is now saying is that there were illegal tactics, mm -hmm. including including the placement of of uh, 
boxes, mailboxes for ballots uh, placed just outside company headquarters with uh, cameras and so mm-hmm. forth aimed at the boxes. And they just, you know, I mean, I've experienced this uh, myself as a as a Writers Guild member and uh, former president is that, you know, there are these uh, law firms that are specifically about union busting and um, all these companies uh, hire them. I've had it happen to us. Uh, they all have the same playbook. I mean, literally playbook. Mm. They're 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 given, you know, the what correspondence should be and how you should object and what to tell your workers. Uh, in a number of cases, they have these mandatory meetings for all employees where they just stand there and inundate you with anti-union propaganda. Yeah. Uh, and this happened in the case of Amazon. I've had it happen with TV networks and studios too, you know, and uh, they've, they've got their act pretty tightly organized. Um, but sometimes they, I've seen instances sometimes where they have used their playbooks and copied one of their emails, but have forgotten to take off the original uh, <laughs> recipient or sender. Oh, so yeah. The, Alec so is, is one of those American Legislative yes. Exchange mm-hmm. Committee. They, yep. they just uh, uh, <laughs> play the same thing over and over and over again. They just uh, rubber stamp it from state to state. Yes. And, and you know it goes back to it goes back to this is something Moyers and I have been hating for hitting for years and you know about the Powell memorandum. Oh right, tell us. I, I, I well, yeah, Powell wrote a memorandum for the uh, uh, I think it was the United States Chamber of Commerce uh, that basically said this was this was as the Johnson years were coming to an end and Nixon had become president. And basically, he said to the to big business, "We've got to get our act together. We're not we're not as organized. We're not as united as as the left is. Uh, we're, we're, we don't have our act together like the progressives have. We need to do the same thing." And and out of that came a lot of the right wing think tanks and um, something like Alec, as you mentioned, and all these groups, you know, formed and, and made a very very powerful force against labor mm. and uh we're still suffering the the uh after effects of of the powell memo to this day oh, yes. and, he, and he went on to serve on the supreme court mm-hmm. yeah some, um, some bad stuff well they they got yeah. organized they recognized that hey in union strength that's right and fighting that's right. unions I, they, yeah they organized <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. They learned. And uh, for those who may have just tuned in, Bert Cohen here, the show is Keeping Democracy Live. We're talking about uh, labor unions, where we go from here, and a crucial part of democracy. Uh, our guest is Michael Winship, uh, former senior writer at Bill Moyers Journal and Moyers and Company, uh, past and future president of the Writers Guild of America. We're talking about the untimely death of labor's best friend, former AFL-CIO head uh, uh, Richard Trumka. And I did want to not, not forget that, you know, the, the uh, filibuster with uh, West Virginia is a coal mining area, as is a lot of Pennsylvania. Uh, mm-hmm. There is a U.S. senator there, uh, Manchin, Joe Manchin, who has been very, very difficult. But what about the strength of the coal miners in West mm-hmm. Virginia? What's your sense there? Are they having an impact? I wonder, I mean, Trumpka being a coal miner himself. Uh, yeah. What about that situation? Well, any- yeah, with Rich gone, I'm not, I'm not sure where we're, where we're headed there. Manchin, you know, is, is, uh, allegedly a Democrat. 
Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, um, you know, he certainly hangs out with the wrong kinds of people. And, um, you know, he, he put out a very nice statement after Rich's passing. But, you know, his mouth says one thing, but, but his, <laughs> his actions say another. So, yeah. you know, the power of the coal mining uh, unions and so forth, like so many unions, has diminished yeah. uh, in part, you know, because uh, because coal is what coal is, yeah. you know. <laughs> uh, it ain't clean, that's for sure. It ain't clean. It certainly ain't clean. And uh, that's, you know, whether they like it or not, it's it's gradually phasing out. Well, of course, a lot of the mines have, have closed. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, uh, we'll just have to see what happens. I'm, I'm just very hopeful that someone like Liz or Sarah is going to be able to uh, to uh, continue Rich's legacy and, and keep a strong AFL-CIO. Boy, I sure hope so, because we, we sure need it. And, uh, we, you know, we like to believe America is one nation, that the economic and justice systems are there to serve all equally. What, mm -hmm. did, what did Rich Trumpka tell your associate, Bill Moyers, about the two economies? And what was Trumpka's prescription for that imbalance? Well, you know, we had him on the show. Uh, this would have been in 2010. Um and, and he, you know, what he said was, he said, well, the financial community, uh, the, the, the financial community was supposed to provide capital to make things happen, like infrastructure, for example. And somehow that got turned on its head. He said the financial community sort of took over, started sucking money out of the economy. Um, he said, so he said, it's, it's up to us to correct that imbalance. Why has union membership fallen so much? Did Trumpka figure this out, and did he see ways to effectively address this as we move forward into the 2020s? Right, right. Well, I, th I think, you know, as I said in the piece, one of the things about Rich was that he was supportive of, of any group that defended the rights of workers, which is why he was so strong on the $15 minimum wage and so forth. Um, and I think, you know, I mean, his motives were, you know, like ivory soap, ninety nine and forty four, one hundred percent pure, but but uh, but he also realized that these were people who were were uh, ripe for organizing uh, and turning into unions. You know, um, I I think he was very very practical in that sense, uh, and I think he was hoping uh, uh, that among other things, you know, the SEIU uh, uh -huh. split from the AFL CIO uh, at one point, and I think he would. He would like to have brought them back into the fold, and, and maybe that'll happen someday. Uh, but you know, he was he was a very political, pragmatic guy, and uh, but it was always on behalf of, of of workers. And you know, the the picture that we've had of of unions is that, as we said earlier, uh, that it's confrontational. That there's you know workers on one side and management and ownership on the other side. And my guess is that a lot of people in the past 20, 30 years or so felt like that's sort of an old model. It doesn't really fit, that we should collaborate with, with ownership somehow. And, you know, I, I don't, you know, I think that that picture is not real that, yeah. that we can collaborate. But I, I wonder about why, you know, there's this uh, not exactly antipathy, but hesitation to be part of a union on, on part of uh, so many American working Americans. Yeah, well, as I say, the the propaganda battle is is constant and very fierce, 
And if you work for a company that's trying to unionize, they're just going to hammer you with anti-union propaganda. And, and a lot of it rubs off. And, you know, uh, it has an enormous impact on people. But confrontation um, is still in our playbook, yes. you know. Um, I, when I first became president of the Writers Guild East, it was just several, it was just a few weeks before we entered into a massive strike against the Hollywood studios and the Hollywood uh, networks and mm -hmm. so forth. Mm -hmm. And it, it lasted for a hundred days. Um, it was very confrontational, but um, we had the public on our side, which was interesting. Our, our support amongst the public never dipped below 60%. Mm. And I, I was going into the strike. I was concerned that people would be so upset that they had lost their, you know, they lost their TV shows that they were watching reruns of all their shows because we were on strike. But as I say, they were, they got it. They understood why we were out there. Mm. And, uh, as I say, the support remained around 60%. That was as low as it went. And we ultimately, uh, won that strike. Um, there are some who would differ with my uh, analysis, but I can tell you for sure that there are gains uh, that were gotten that during that strike that writers are enjoying to this day. And, um, you know, there is still power in the unions. Uh, the, as I say, the memberships declined. I'm hoping we can get it. We start getting it back up. Uh, and it's, it's just a case of persuading people again of the power of a union and the effectiveness and the support that a union brings to them. Persuasion, that is, that is a big, uh, it's a big part of it. People can be persuaded, and uh, I mean, yeah. what the whole advertising industry is, <laughs> that's what that's yeah. all, all about. Well, I wish we could convince pe more people to wear their masks and, and <sighs> God, I know. be careful. You know? <laughs> oh, my it's, God. It's such a tragedy, uh, what, what's it, going on now. It, it's unbelievable, just to protect yeah. themselves. But back in history, when there were, other uh, diseases, and and Franklin Roosevelt, of course, had had polio, which there was a shot, a vaccination, yeah. duh, you know, mm -hmm. it worked. But Franklin Roosevelt, I think, a great president in 1936, stated that the big corporations should be made to serve the common good, not the mm -hmm. other way around. Yeah. and that that's such a distant. Uh, picture from what we have now it it, oh, yes. it sure looks like the financial sector enjoys tremendous power today especially in comparison to the political power of labor my sense is that yeah. rich trumka was doing what he could to carry on fdr's uh -huh. values that yes that big corporations should be made to serve the common good is that is that correct yeah i think that's totally correct and you know uh when you look back at FDR too, I mean, he, he was, as you mentioned before, but labor was so much more powerful and, and he realized, uh, he realized that power, recognized it. One of the people with whom he spoke often was Sidney Hillman, who was one of the great labor leaders in American history. And, uh, you know, he, he knew that, that we were a force and that factored into his thinking in terms of the new deal and, and everything else that happened during his, his, uh, Three full terms and, and one partial fourth mm -hmm. term. Um, so, yeah, labor very much had a seat at the table those days. Uh, and I, I think that's happening again with Joe Biden. And and I, I, I'm not sure how many people would really question, you know, that there's really two economies, two systems of justice, that the financial sector uh, has this power 
uh, over the rest of us that somehow they should be made to serve the common good. I, I'm not sure how, you know, if people are ready to hear that or if it sounds like yeah. something way to the left of center that uh, the common yeah. good should prevail. I mean, that's what I do believe what America's founders intended. Yeah. Well, and Rich himself, you know, um, uh, privately, he was he was very supportive of a lot of uh, the economic planks in the in the Bernie Sanders platform. Yes, um, you know he was supportive of all that, and uh, you know, I just read an article. I think it was David Atkins in the uh, Washington Monthly uh, talking about the power of government and 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 the good that government does, mm. and the, you know. Supporting labor is one of those things that it can do and do effectively. Uh, yeah, I would think that uh, it, it, it amazes me, really, how uh, aggressive uh, Biden is being and, and getting things yeah. done. And to have uh -huh. a new New Deal, uh, you know, some people on the left, you know, say, well, it's not enough. Well, it's not, but it's, it's moving forward. And the fact, I think he's gambling. I think uh, President Biden is gambling that people will see that, yes, active government, government participating yeah. in the economy uh, can be a good thing in creating lots of jobs, good, you know, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, good paying jobs uh, that yeah. uh, hopefully th that can work. And I, I would think that, uh, well, what about Trump's relationship with President Joe Biden? I mean, I used to see Joe Biden uh, riding the train every now and then because. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Down in New York when I when I somehow just run into him at uh, Penn Station. But what uh -huh. was what was Trump's relationship with, with Joe Biden? It was very good. I mean, from the moment Joe Joe uh, Biden entered the United States Senate, um, right up into his presidency, um, he and he and Rich Trump were very close. And uh, you know, he certainly has felt this loss as as well. Um, yeah, I mean, they had a very good relationship, and uh, it's it's part of the the great loss. It's that we've lost lost that relationship, you know. Um, we'll just have to see what happens. I just hope that uh, Biden maintains this position and can act effectively on it. Well, he knows how to work it, which impresses the heck out of me, I must this say. I mean, being in the U.S. Senate for so long, boy, he knows how to work it, which is something yeah. that, that, I mean, Obama, let's face it, it didn't even have one full term in the no, U.S. Right. Senate. But this, uh, no, right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. you got to be a realist, you know. D d <coughs> and, and, you know, working class white people, a lot of them have been supporting Trump through the years. Mm -hmm. He appealed to very many of them. They have the, the Trumpists are vehemently opposed to Black Lives Matter and are rabidly anti-immigrant. And this is a lot of Trump's base. In that context, yeah. what was Trump's approach to getting through these, these hot-button issues, reconnecting w w with people who you know, yeah. went that way? Uh, Trump's Trump approach was you know, initially to try and find mutual areas where they could could work together uh -huh. and as i said uh you know that was that was what happened with the trade agreements the the rewrite of, of nafta um which got very involved in that and uh, uh you know and, and made got rid of a lot of the stuff that was that was more hostile yeah. to labor yeah 
gave competitive and economic advantages to other countries. Oh, yeah. um, he was very effective on that, but that's pretty much where it stopped. Um, so because how, how do you reconnect with, with working class white people who should be, you know, technically part of the uh, labor solidarity? Well, I think, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think that's that's one of the things. I mean, Biden has to, you know, once once the pandemic is finally finally mm. under control, that he can get out and about more and talk to people and be with people. Um, I mean, I've only met the guy once, but I but I came away. This was a couple of years before the the election. Uh, I came away very impressed with him, yeah. and 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 also uh, pleased to see how well he relates with people and, and uh, the empathy that he has that Trump totally lacks. And how did how did Trumpka suggest dealing with these, you know, racism and anti-immigrant stuff? Uh, you know, he was very blunt about it. He, he was like, you know, this has got to stop. It's wrong. Um, he was very outspoken, as I said, during the 2008 campaign about racism. Mm -hmm. uh, he was very blunt in 2016 about sexism. Um, he, he said his mind and, uh, he, he said it and people respected it. And he was, um, such an impressive guy. I think you couldn't help, but, but respect who he was. Yeah. And again, for those who may have just tuned in, Bert Cohen here, the show is Keeping Democracy Alive. And we're talking about an absolutely essential pillar of democracy, uh, unions, working people having a voice. And we just as, lost, as the go ahead. As the as the bumper sticker says, from the people who brought you the weekend. Yes, I know. We cannot forget that. The weekend uh, didn't exist. I mean, there would be no uh, worker protection whatsoever without right. labor unions. And when we're yeah. talking with uh, Michael Winship about the untimely death of labor's best friend, Rich Trumpka, who just died. Yeah. Uh, so even people who don't belong to a union have... have uh, gotten the benefits of unionism in that sometimes yes. you know, a lot of things have become national policy for one. Yep. And then secondly, uh, ironically, because in a lot of instances when uh, unions try and organize a plant or something, that in order to keep the employees out of a union, the uh, employers will suddenly offer them benefits that yep. they've never, <laughs> never had access to before, you know? Yeah. Well, that, well, that brings up uh, you know, people getting benefits, even though they don't belong to a union, they don't pay union dues. Yeah. There's something called right to work, which is a clever title for union busting legislation yeah. at the state yeah. level. It's It's been beaten back in most, but not all states. No, not and, all states. And, um, you know, and, so, which so, makes part of, again, makes part of the... Uh, support of Donald Trump among so many workers so so mysterious yeah but, yeah well what about uh, this in the wake of that Trump pushed for as we mentioned before the employee free choice act yeah. which did not become law what was that about and now they're considering the the pro act, the pro -act oh. yeah. tell us the, about the, those two things please the, well the pro act contains a lot of a lot of the elements of EFCA basically which is that uh, keeps keeps management from doing a lot of these practices uh, that we mentioned before, like mandatory meetings to uh, uh, pound workers with anti-union propaganda. Um, the thing with AFCO was basically saying that, you know, if your employees want to hold an election, uh, 
to to uh, have a union, you can't stop them. You know, uh, for a number of years now, it's been the case where uh, management can basically crush uh, an attempt to unionize just by denying elections and so forth. And this, uh, and especially denying uh, secret elections and so forth. And and what these bills did, what EFCA promised to do, and I hope Pro will be able to push to get pushed through and, and become law is is to end those practices you know uh and allow employers employees rather to come together and uh, effectively demand uh, successfully a union uh, and of course the uh the owners don't want that and a lot no. of the people who work there feel like well i'm getting these benefits anyway why should i pay uh, yeah. dues to a it, union that that's yeah. a tough one it is very tough but I think people are starting to figure it out. <coughs> Excuse me. And and we mentioned briefly uh, Amazon and the Bessemer uh, mm-hmm. uh, tragic uh, loss of a union there. And they really, they become basically a monopoly, which we've mm-hmm. had from time to time in American history. And traditionally, we don't like monopolies. And Be- right. Bezos made more money in an hour than most people make in a lifetime. Oh, my God, yes. Yeah, and, and there and were... My- launch himself into space you know oh, jesus that is bizarre just twisted in my opinion but anyway mm-hmm. his warehouses are a nasty place to work yeah yeah they obviously they tried to unionize but but the heavy-handed amazon beat back that effort you, you know with real intimidation as you dimension mm-hmm. was, was trumpka involved and might his legacy inspire greater effort now at unionizing amazon i mean they're so huge it, it's I, I think it's become really a public utility that really ought yeah. to be regulated as such. Yeah. Well, they certainly, I mean, the, the union, the, the ballot results were fairly decisive against the, against the uh, union yes. at Amazon. And as I said before, the, the, the National Labor Relations Board <clears throat> representatives are now calling for uh, a new election there. So we'll see what happens. Um, Amazon very, you know, very effectively propaganda um, against the union and did what they could to intimidate and falsely inform their workers. Um, Mm. You know, um, so many industries like my own, for example, have now had unions for such a long time that the the benefits have accrued. And I think a lot of them... uh, uh, realize uh, that there are positive things about it. I I know you know we talked. I mentioned Steve Greenhouse before, and yes. Steve Steve wrote a very terrific book a couple of years ago called "Beaten Down, Worked Up" uh, about the state of American labor. But one of the points he made that was so interesting, I thought, uh, when I read the book, because he does do a lot of history of of organized labor. Um, he talks about the fact that after the war. Part of the relationship, and part of the reason that the relationship between management and and labor was much better, was that was that the uh, aftermath of World War II, that these guys had you know management and labor alike had been in trenches together, had gone through war oh, together, wow. hmm. and and that this made them, <coughs> excuse me, more sympathetic to labor, and more understanding of labor. And uh, that this helped the labor movement a great deal. Back in the 80s, there was kind of briefly uh, kind of a a thought that bubbled up a little bit about the idea of worker 
uh, ownership and participation and management. Mm-hmm. And I wonder where, where that's gone. I mean, that was sort of a different approach other than the, you know, we're on one side, they're on the other side. Yeah, yeah. No, I think there's a lot to be said for it. I mean, if you look at Germany, for example, uh, in Germany, a lot of the, if not all, of the uh, large industries have union members on their boards. Mm. Uh, and so, you know, union members have an effective voice on the boards of these uh, companies, and they don't seem any the worse for it. No, they certainly uh, don't. You know, I mean, it seems to have, it seems to have worked well. Uh, if we could just persuade some of our American corporations to uh, to do the same thing, but they're so focused on uh, their stockholders uh, and increasing wealth for their stockholders, right. uh, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. But the fact that what one of the ways they do that is to keep unions out uh, is is just disastrous and needs to be fixed. Whether it can be or not, I don't know. It may, may be too far down the road, but uh, I'm hopeful. Well, there's some people, you know, on to the left of me, and there are a lot of people to the left of me who say, "Well, no, capitalism per se is bad." Uh, to me, sure. greed is bad, and that yes. when you know people have a stake and a say in what gets produced and how it gets produced, you get better stuff. I mean, look at Germany; they're not doing too yeah. badly nowadays. No, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. So it it can be done. And yeah. effective leadership requires many skills, not the least of which is the ability to connect and inspire. Mm-hmm. Your, exactly. artic- your article again quotes Steve uh, Greenhouse, who wrote that Trumpka was, quote, a powerful orator who knew how to mobilize workers, end of quote. You say that if an institution is the extended shadow of its head, Richard Trumpka was the AFL-CIO. Yeah, and now he's yeah. gone. Now he's gone way too soon, and a big, big, big shock. Sometimes yeah. the legacy and memory of departed leaders serves to empower future members of an organization and inspire yeah. people. Without the support of working class Americans, Democrats, I don't believe can win. You knew him. Yeah, no, I agree. What, what, you know, it, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead with your question. No, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, you know, uh, the Writers Guild East, we're, we're one of the smaller unions in the AFL-CIO. And um, what, what impressed me with Rich was that whenever we needed him to show up um, for a, a rally or a picket line or, or just a meeting to hear out members and what was on their minds, when at all possible he would show up, um, it, he was very impressive that way. He would show up to meet with, you know, two dozen people and uh, make an effective presentation. And, um, you know, I, I will miss that personally because I, I, I thought he was so good at that, not to mention being a great guy. Yeah, some big shoes to, to fill, but it, it can inspire people to, you know, keep the legacy alive. Keep it, yeah. you know, be, put, put more energy into that and, and keep it uh-huh. going. Don't let it die with him. So what, right. what can average people do now? People, voters, this, you know, this place on uh, stations in uh, Baton Rouge, Louisiana and Washington State. What can uh, people across the country do to, to help the, the labor agenda and, you know, work with the Democratic Party, et cetera? Well, I mean, you know, they can support the PRO Act for That's one thing. Yes. They, they can contact their Congress people and, and uh, support the PRO Act, especially in the U.S. Senate, it's been it's passed in the House of Representatives, and uh, <clears throat> just needs the Senate now. 
but as we say, you know, that they, they should they should contact their their members about that, but also about eliminating the filibuster. Yes. Uh, to put the put the pressure on their members uh, to to get rid of that. You know, I mean, as several people have said, it's, they act as if it's part of the U.S. Constitution, and it's not. And um, you know, it's become it's more of a tradition than anything. Mm. Uh, you know, you and I have talked about this before. It's like the House doesn't have impeachment. Hmm. <clears throat> Sorry, I, I misspoke. I mean, the House doesn't have the filibuster, uh, you know, and, and still manages to uh, to operate. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, if, if, if they will not eliminate the filibuster entirely, <clears throat> at least they could make either a cutout for certain industries, hmm. for certain kinds of legislation, such as voting rights legislation, mm. or they can, as people like Norm Ornstein and, and uh, Al Franken have suggested, bring back the, the talking filibuster. Uh, right now, right now, because of the 60 vote thing to override a filibuster, uh, they can do it without lifting a finger, essentially. Uh, whereas in the good old days, if you remember, Mr. Smith goes to Washington. Yes. If you if you were filibustering, you had to hold the floor and keep talking, and uh, you know that doesn't exist now. But maybe bringing that back would be a, a halfway solution to to uh, getting rid of the darn thing. There's many different uh, approaches that can work, and that whole filibuster ah. thing is just uh, uh, it, it's awful. It's a real impediment to uh, to democracy going forward. So yeah. AFL CIO. Uh, is has got some, as we said, big shoes to fill, but uh, I I get the sense that better times are ahead, and a lot of that has to do with Rich Trumpka and his legacy continuing. That's right, Michael Winship. Thank you so much. Uh, if people want to read uh, more of what, what you write, uh, is there someplace on that internet thingy? Well, the base, the place I, I'm the senior writing fellow at Common Dreams. Ah. So if you just go to commondreams.org, uh, you can find me. And it's great uh, stuff, though, on Common Dreams anyway. Yeah. A whole bunch of people. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's a great source of information. It's, it's, it's a wonderful news aggregator. And there's a tremendous amount of very, very important uh, opinion that's on there as well. If you just search my name, uh, it'll hook you in. And there's, there's several years' worth of pieces by me in there. And we're all in this together, for sure. Thank you so much. We'll look forward to speaking with you again in the future. Thank you. I hope so, Bert. Always a pleasure. Thank you. There once was a union maid Who never was afraid But the goons and the geeks and the company freaks And the deputy sheriffs who made the raid And when the news was called She went to the union hall And when the legion boys came round She always stood her ground Oh, you can't scare me I'm sticking to the union I'm sticking to the union I'm sticking to the was wise to the tricks of company spies she couldn't be fooled by the company school she'd always organize the guys she'd always get her way when she strives for better pay she'd show her card to the national guard and this is what she'd say oh you can't scare me i'm sticking with the union i'm sticking with the union
Till 